0: This is Stage Right and I am your host, John Thorne. They say if you die with a handful of friends, you die a rich man. Well, I have several buses full and I'm very excited to share them all with you. This is Stage Right. I am your host, John Thorne. I appreciate you taking time to listen today. So I've been thinking about putting together a Christmas bundle that would allow people that wanted to support the podcast, rather than ask for money, I would offer a bundle where you could buy the Christmas bundle. It'd be a bunch of stuff. You would know ahead of time what it was. If you wanted to give it away or break it up and give different things to different people for Christmas or whatever, you could do whatever you wanted with it. But I reached out to John Schlitt, who was my first guest, and I said, dude, do you have anything you'd wanna donate to the show so I could put it in a Christmas bundle and give people a chance to buy it and have it as a collectible or share it or do whatever? And he sent me a box full of stuff. It's got John Schlitt posters, it's got Petra posters, it's got John Schlitt CDs, and all of it is signed. I couldn't believe it when I opened it. It was crazy. So I started thinking, all of my friends, what is the one characteristic that most of my friends have? And I say most just because I don't pass out a survey, but I would say that most of my friends, if not all of them, are generous. And when I say generous, I don't mean people that are so rich, they just have an abundance that just overflows into other people's lives because they have nothing better to do with their money. I'm talking about people that actually go out and make a difference and do what they can, where they can, when they can. Well, I have a friend named Mark and Mark sadly and tragically lost his wife just a few months ago. But if you knew Mark, you would know that Mark is a giver. And this past weekend, Mark joined 12 other cyclists. They went to South Georgia and rode 300 miles, 100 miles, three days in a row to raise money. And at last count, they had raised over $37,000 for charity. So in the week leading up to Thanksgiving, I just wanted you to hear that story. I love you, Mark. I'm proud of you, and I'm honored to call you my friend. Now a word from our sponsor.
1: Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services to generate more leads, more exposure, and more revenue for your business or organization. Let Hey Rockstar amplify your awesomeness.
0: So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my great friend, Mr. Ron Rockstar. Welcome, Ron.
1: Thank you so much for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening.
0: I appreciate you being on the show today, Ron. I know you're busy, but thanks for taking the time.
1: Any time with you is a good time.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that, dude. Well, just to get things rolling, Ron, tell everyone where we met.
1: I was thinking about that. I, I think I had originally thought we had met on the high, the beginning of the Highlands tour, which would have been, like, in Poughkeepsie, New York. I think it might have been the third or fourth date on the tour. But I was thinking about it, John, and I have a very funny feeling that we met on the Tales of Wonder tour. Ah. Um, it might've been in Elizabeth, New Jersey, because I was there to interview the band. And I think you might've been the guy who was like coordinating that
0: dude. I was the road manager on that show. And the reason I remember that is I think that show for the promoter, I think it was a money laundering gig.
2: Oh, really? (laughs)
0: Okay. I'm serious. When we got there, his venue was filthy there was popcorn everywhere, like two feet deep from the night before they'd had some crazy show on Saturday night because I think this was a Sunday night gig. He didn't care about pre-sales. He didn't care about ticket sales. He didn't care about walk-up. He didn't care about anything. He acted like nothing was a big deal.
1: So, yeah, I think we met, uh, yeah, in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And I think you were, yeah, you were the guy who was kind of like coordinating for the interview and like saying like after the, it was, actually, we did that interview after the show, and I think you were the guy who was kind of like, okay, so uh, 30 minutes with the guys, I'll try and bring them all in, and you were like, yep. kind of like...
0: Dude, I remember this, because I put the guys in the room with you to do the interview, and then went up four flights of stairs to this dude's back office to get paid. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And I know we definitely, then we met um, on the Saltbox tour in Toronto, Ontario, Canada.
0: Yep, I remember that date as well. Okay, Ron. So I want to get to your story. I want to get to you. Tell the listeners what inspired you? What, what got you into the arts? What got you interested in movies and music and pop culture and that kind of stuff?
1: Right. Well, I think I was very inspired by, by film like very early on and by you know the whole genre of acting and stuff. And I remember being very young and kind of being into it and, and very good at it also. And I think, though, like most people, though, when I hit my teen years, and you sort of really start to listen to music for the first time, um, it just—it just—I just—I just really resonated with me. I just really uh, had some friends who were really into music big time, and they kind of like, you know, were listening to certain things, and I got into it, and I really got into music. And I just—I guess it just like—I guess like with anything, it just uh, hit a vein with me, and uh, often awful way i was running and then i sort of was really really into music and kind of never looked back
0: right well growing up in canada who was your favorite band who did you listen to
1: uh so many um i mean i really was inspired and remember listening to and some of the first uh records i ever bought uh was going to be the who i think the who's always been really major for me the stones uh, Bruce Springsteen, massive, massive. Uh, the Stones is cool because I actually ended up even fronting the Stones tribute band a couple of years later, and I can do Mick Jagger as good as Mick Jagger to <laughs> this day. That's great. Um, and, but when I saw Bruce Springsteen live, my cousin took me to see Springsteen. And when I saw Bruce on the Born in the USA tour, it was like life changing. And I'm oh. like, okay, now I really, really want to get into music big time and uh huge Prince fan, still I'm a huge Prince fan, and I think that Prince still is, and I will always say this. You've probably heard me say this before, John. Prince is the greatest musical genius of our time.
0: Hmm, wow. Well, he's definitely one of them for sure. So you go from The Who to Bruce Springsteen to Prince, just those few is a pretty eclectic group.
1: I like being eclectic, and I think, too, like, you know, uh, I like to broaden my horizons a little bit musically, and of course, the more I grew up into things, and and I like used you, you ask me like especially too, being in Canada, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no Canadian kid that didn't grow up not loving and being a fan of Rush, oh, so wow. and listening listening to Rush is like listening to jazz music, right? So <laughs> broadens your mind, you know. <laughs> yes. So I ended up loving the stuff like 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 listening to Prince, you know, listening to more funk and dance stuff and, and then all the rock. And I got into, I even got into jazz stuff and I just really loved sort of expanding my horizons and realizing that there's so many great forms of music out there. And although I do, I want to say as much as I'm a rock and roll guy, the greatest form of music that's out there is jazz. And when you see these jazz musicians play guys like Marcus Miller, who you you probably love because of the bass Mm -hmm. player, he's way up there. I don't think anyone in the world can touch jazz
0: musicians and what they do. Jazz musicians are phenomenal. They have a much deeper understanding of theory, and most genres of music don't actually dive that deep into theory and absolutely and apply it. Okay, growing up in Michigan, my probably my biggest Canadian musical influence was Bachman-Turner Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's great. I loved Randy Bachman. I, I
1: love, love him. And I just met Randy this year. You did? Yeah.
0: Tell me that story.
1: Well, I was, because uh, I worked for Celebrity Cruises, and we had a charter cruise, and they did a, a 70s rock and romance cruise. And Randy Bachman was one of the artists on that cruise. So he, he did, like, two shows, which is pretty much like a storyteller's show is what he does. So he kind of tells stories about the songs and, and plays them. And then uh, afterwards he did a and a so I kind of got to, you know, very, I very briefly met Randy, but I got to go up to him and talk to him and told him I've seen him and, you know, loved his show. And uh, actually all the acts on that cruise, I thought Randy Bachman was the best one.
0: Randy Bachman has the best story I've ever heard in regards to how a real life situation turned into a song when he tells the story of how he wrote Taking Care of Business. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And he told that story obviously at the show and, like i said that was mind-blowing that that whole randy bachman show Uh, for me that was like somebody wants to learn about how to write great songs yes and where great songs come from like watch that randy bachman show you will learn so much
0: absolutely and once again it proves why those people are who they are it's just remarkable okay so let's transition to this ron tell everyone how you ended up um, discovering or being influenced, getting into Christian music?
1: Oh, I had a, a really good friend in high school, and he was a Christian. And then um, after high school, we ended up working together, and he invited me to his church, which was really close to where I lived, which was really, you know, and I don't say that, oh, that's unique, or how, you know, bizarre that was, or lucky. No, like, you just look at that situation. I always said I was, like, totally God's plan right. you know right that was like written in the works of how god does things so he invited me to the church which is really close to where i lived and i went to, i went to his church one sunday hmm. i never stopped
0: oh wow that's awesome
1: i loved it uh i loved the whole camaraderie of it you know of course seeing my friend and everything and i i always had an openness for for church and god and and i've always had a belief in god of course like you know, most people have a belief in some higher power, if not God. Um, but as I was attending that church and becoming very well ingrained in, in Christianity for the first time and what it really was, I just I didn't have that relationship part yet. And then that came, when we went to see a, a play of Heaven's Gate Tells Flames. So we went to see that and then I made my decision that night. And, and so I met a lot of people in the youth group and, and things like that. And then, um, so after becoming a Christian, my friend, his family is very conservative, so they were so happy at the time I finally become a Christian, and they knew I liked music, so my friend's mother gave me a cassette. You know, oh here's some, you know because I know you like music, here's a guy you really like, and she gave me uh, Steve Green, He Holds the Key, my first Christian cassette.
0: Hey Whiteheart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, a nice connection, <laughs> right? So, you know, and I. By the way, and that's a great—that's by the way—that is a great album, and Steve Green is one of my favorite singers. He's an incredible vocalist, uh, you know. Yeah. But the thing was, I was a rocker, right? So even though as much as I enjoyed Steve Green's cassette, I was kind of looking to rock a little bit. And so some friends of mine in the youth group they sh- that I knew from different churches—even they showed me some Christian rock stuff. And I do believe the first Christian music CD that I purchased. I believe it was White Heart Freedom. Oh, wow. I think that was the first one I remember putting money down on and buying. Because my friend had a cassette of it. I listened to it on his cassette, but I want to own the CD. So I think I remember buying the CD of Freedom first. And I think Beyond Belief might have been my second purchase. Hmm. And I think Amy Grant Lead Me On. Those are like my I remember having those three CDs first. So once you have. Those three, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> right. 87,
0: 88, and 89. Probably <laughs> the best album from each of those three years, with the exception of maybe Rustaf's third album.
1: It, it was. I, I think, and I always say, you know, even at the time and even thinking back on it now, I say, you know what? I think God was really like talking to me in a way, like because he knew kind of what I liked in music, the kind of artists I like, the way singers are. And, I always liked singers who didn't play guitar
2: mm-hmm.
1: and knowing that Rick Florian and John Schlitt weren't playing guitar and just being great front men, right. that actually made me like them even more. Do you know who For Him is? Yeah, I have, I'm not a huge fan of them, theirs, but I, I'm definitely aware of them for sure, yeah.
0: Right. Well, when I was in Truth, it was kind of Steve Greenish Baptist, you know, lots of Baptist colleges, lots of big Baptist churches and stuff, more conservative musically but because I was a rocker, Andy from For Him uh, decided to buy me White Heart right. Freedom for my birthday in 1989. <laughs> so that's how I ended up with White Heart Freedom. It was a gift. <laughs> wow, I love
1: it. That's great, man.
0: All right, so at this point, you've been exposed to pretty much the great Christian music out at the time. What was the first really big interview you did in Christian music as a journalist?
1: Oh, you know, again, you know what? i I mean... I don't want to sound repetitive, but, you know, it really is, like, all God-driven. So the first... Because here's the thing, just for your listeners to know, after, you know, getting to music and becoming a Christian, and in the youth group, one of the youth groups that was uh, with another another local church, mm-hmm. they actually had a radio program.
2: Oh, cool.
1: called Rock Solid out of Champlain, New York. Right on. And my good friend, Gary Horseman, he was, like, the guy who was heading that up. And so... He knew that I made music better than almost probably anybody. So he's like, you know, we gotta have Ron a part of this program. Plus, I'd done some DJing in high school and stuff. So I was really the guy to be a part of the program. Right. So when I joined in, you know, I said to Gary, Well, hey, you know, I'm 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 gonna bring you guys something. You know, I'm gonna really push this, bring in some big stuff. And so it was at the same time, Whiteheart was just finishing the Freedom Tour and the last date that tour was in Toronto. And I said, I'm going to go to Toronto to see Whiteheart and I'm going to get an interview with them. So I got in touch with our management and Whiteheart. Uh, I spoke to Rick Mark and Billy on the last night.
0: Of oh my the- goodness.
1: First. That was my first Christian interview.
0: That is awesome.
1: And that was the first Christian CD that I purchased. Right. You know, and I think uh, that was like the first, Let's say I'm going to say the first major Christian rock concert that I actually attended. that's awesome. I saw a couple of other like local bands and some smaller acts and stuff, but seeing like a major Christian rock artist, uh, Whiteheart was also my first one.
0: Okay, so you told us about your first interview in Christian music, the first big one. But tell us about your most recent huge, huge accomplishment as a journalist. Tell everybody what you did.
1: Well, the cool thing about, okay, so um, I'll just back up a a few seconds. Um, So after I interviewed Whiteheart, uh, the following year after I interviewed, I got to go to a press conference. uh, When Petra came to Toronto, they did two nights at Massey Hall. It was a big thing. Everyone was talking about Petra selling out Massey Hall in Toronto for two nights. Hmm. And most of the people in Toronto don't even know who they are. So they're wondering how did they sell out this major venue, right? And so they had a big they had a big press conference, and and I think it was wow. the,
2: uh,
1: the secular record company at that time that was trying to get Petra, you know, on on secular market at the time. Sure. So I went to go to that press conference, hmm. and I got to interview, um, be there with all the reporters and stuff like that. And that was actually a really funny and great interview I remember. <laughs> cool. Um, so I actually got to do, and then I got to interview Petra throughout their career. Mm-hmm. And so I've even John, I've spoken to John Schlitt a couple of times for his solo stuff. Right. And I, you know, this year I came home and, and as I saw the months were approaching, I'm like, you know what? It's it's actually the 30th anniversary year wow. of the release of Beyond Belief. And I'm like, I wonder if somebody's going to do something special. Like, okay, even if the guys in Petra aren't going to do anything, like, is anybody in the media going to do anything special? Is somebody going to do anything? Right. And nobody, as time was going on, I saw nobody was doing nothing. And I'm like, no, this is impossible. Somebody's got to do something. So if nobody else is going to do it, hmm. I'm going to do it. So I kind of had my website going for a while where I'm doing a lot of journalistic work with actors and comedians and musicians and stuff. And I got this idea of talking to somebody from Petra about the 30th anniversary. And I've been in touch with Ronnie Cape Ronnie uh, via social media a little bit. And I reached out to Ronnie and I said, Hey, Ronnie, would you be interested in talking to me about the 30th anniversary of Beyond Belief? And he was totally cool with it. <laughs> and I said, Hey, you know what? I said, you know, I, John Schlitt just had a great new solo album out called go. Right. And I said, I should, you know, see if John, cause I've talked to John in the past and he knows me a little bit. Right. So I said, maybe John would be interested. And then, so I reached out to John Schlitt and he was totally on board. So I told Ronnie and John, you know, I should reach out to the other guys. (laughs)
0: Right.
1: And this is kind of just like going on the fly. Again, I always say it was like, again, God driven, God led. Yep. And there's a lot of prayer being involved about this as well. Mm -hmm. And every time I reached out to somebody in Petra, the reaction was like, they were on board. They were on board. Some of them took a little bit longer to get in touch with than others, but everybody was on board. The only guy I didn't have was Louis. And. Uh, Louis was really hard to reach, but the funniest thing was the day before the interview, less than 24 hours before the interview, I got a phone call in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, my phone rang and it was a phone number I didn't know, and I picked it up on my like, hello. I'm like, Hi, Ron. This is Louis Weaver.
0: <laughs> but Louis is like a Muppet dried on high in the dryer. <laughs> he is one of the funniest people.
1: And Louie and I ended up talking for like almost a half an hour, just (laughs) kind of reminiscing about like sort of like what you said, John. You know, about hey, you know, when when was the last time we met? When was the first time we met? And just going and and Louie was like really excited for this. He was like (laughs) pumped up. He was like, "Man, I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring someone to show you guys. It's really cool, you know." And so, so the next morning, so John, you know, answering your question, so I am. Guy that put Petra Beyond Belief lineup back together, they reunited with me, right? And we did a one hour interview that
0: was fantastic uh,
1: on Zoom. And uh, we just talked about Beyond Belief the songs, the album, the recording, it was huge, um, the movie, the videos, uh, the tour, uh, the production. I mean, basically, we covered every single thing you think that we could cover talking about beyond police. And the greatest thing was that these guys have not seen each other in right. at least five years. Um, they were catching up, like kind of in between interview, there was a lot of private conversations going on between the guys about private stuff. Right. That because they haven't talked for so long, you know, like five putting five friends together and they're reminiscing and start talking about <laughs> yeah. things that have nothing to do with the interview. And, and uh, it was great. And, you know, I think the, the best part of that whole hour was in the beginning when John Schlitz said to me, you know, he says, hey, buddy, thank you so much for doing this, and putting us back together like this. Like, how great is that?
0: It's a cool way to honor them. And it's a cool way to honor the music in that album because it was a great album for them.
1: Oh, it's, it's the greatest Christian album of all time, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people agree with me. Right. and And the great thing is is like after I posted that interview on my my channel, because I just started my YouTube channel, like literally just started it,
2: right.
1: uh, I was flooded like all these Petra fans and Christian music fans. like i i'm I am still, even this past week, I'm still <laughs> getting reactions from people, messages from people, uh, likes from people. this interview is still going strong now ever since we did it back in the summer. And I'm really proud of it. And I always thank God about it. And it was something that I, I prayed about. And I was so happy to do it, not just for me, but I was happy to do it for them. Yes. And mostly for their fans.
0: Right. They were a special band. I don't care if you loved them or hated them. You could not deny the impact that they had. And no one could deny the enormous popularity that they had. They were so huge in the 80s and 90s. Crazy. I don't think anyone's ever been bigger than Petra.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny because Bob Hartman talks pretty openly about, you know, getting accepted, so to speak, by the church in interview that we do. So if, if anybody wants to check out, that interview and where Bob does talk about that. And again, as you said, John, discussing everything beyond belief related, uh, the interview is still up and uh, still going strong for anybody who wants to see it.
0: Tell them where it's at.
1: Uh, well, the YouTube channel, it's, uh, they can go to Ron Rockstar media. And I have to stress that you need to spell the name, the name is R O N and then R O X T A R media. And then, uh, you'll see it there. I've got other videos too. But so if they, you know, they have to filter in through a few of the videos, but then you'll you'll see the Petra uh, Beyond Belief interview there. And I hope that anybody who watches this is blessed.
0: Oh, I'm sure they will be, dude. It's a great interview. I watched the whole thing the day you sent it to me. It was it was awesome.
1: And not only that, not only is it a blessing, it's actually really funny.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So there you go. Okay, so let me segue to this. Tell us the Styx story. How in the world, Styx is one of the biggest bands in the world from the 70s. Tell everybody how you became such good friends with them.
1: Well, uh, I, I, that's another thing. I, you know, I always love Styx, right? I mean, they're one of, and again, you're saying, John, they're one of the big bands. And I think a lot of people you know, like Styx or if they don't like Styx, you know, they, they like the big songs, right? Right. So um, as I said, I've been doing journalism for quite some time. And it was literally, I think it was 1999, 2000, roughly. So almost like, what, 20 years we're talking, right? right. Um, Lawrence Gowan, who uh, was a really big star in Canada. He was a pretty big name up here in Canada. He joined Sticks in 1999. And um, so it was a big, big news in Canada. And when they were coming to canada i said oh you know i'm i'm really getting my i'm still doing my journalism work it'd be great to talk to the guys at least lawrence gallon so i ended up uh, yeah i ended up contacted the management they checked me out they liked my stuff they said yeah you know why don't you do some photography for us because that's what i've been doing a lot is a lot of photojournalism and so i went and took pictures of sticks and um they were really happy with what i did and i wrote an article about them and they loved it and so then um Next time I got hooked up with them, they sent me an interview with, with Lawrence Gowan. And so it just kind of snowballed. And uh, now I've interviewed Tommy Shaw, like I think once or twice at least, um, done the Todd Zuckerman's drum clinics. Yeah. And then now, lately, in the last few years, I think it's been the last four or five years, I think it's been 2015, 2016, I've been doing a yearly interview with Lawrence Gowan. Every year, you got something to talk
0: that's fantastic. What a lot of people might not be aware of, but when it comes to famous people or people in the spotlight, if they have their choice, they will always pick the journalists that they know and are most comfortable with.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's happened to me at least a couple of times with a couple of celebrities that, you know, I did an interview with them and, and it worked out really well and we became chummy. And the next thing you know, they're, they're coming back to town with us an actor or musician and and they know I'm there. They'll like either, you know, want to reach out to me or if I'm on the, let's say, the uh, roster for the journalist list. They see my name. there. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I got to talk to Ron Rock. <laughs>
0: right, right. So it's, it's, it's nice. It's a nice feeling. It should feel good, dude. It means they know they can trust you. That's awesome. So speaking of trust, tell everyone that story about Lawrence Gowan and the girls that you introduced
1: him <laughs> to. So in between, and actually can yeah, was like, what, last year, a year and a half ago almost, roughly? Yeah. So uh, in between six dates, uh, if, if Lauren has enough time and, and can work it out, he because again, because he was a big star in Canada, he'll do uh, solo dates, you know, or little solo mini tours on, in Canada. So he was doing some of his solo dates in Canada. And at that same time, there was a string quartet in Montreal that is, just released their first album um these four lovely ladies who are amazing musicians uh they're called the string cat k-a-t-z and you can find them also on facebook as well youtube etc so they did a cover of lawrence gowan's biggest hit song in canada which is called a criminal mind which sticks also did a recorded version of so I contacted Lawrence and said, hey, have you heard the String Cats do A Criminal Mind? And he's like, no, I haven't. I haven't heard it. So I sent it to him and uh, he was very impressed and he shared it with all his fans and put on his his social media and everything. And and then I I got to know one of the girls from the String Cats, Helga. She's kind of like the leader of the String Cats. Hmm. And so uh, when Lawrence was coming to Montreal, I said to Lawrence and I said to Helga, hey, you know, we got to get you guys together. So at this concert, Helga went with one of the other String cats, and it's Mary Claude, and I was there as well. And Lawrence is doing his concert, and he's great as always. And actually, in his solo date, he even has Todd Zuckerman of Styx as a part of his solo band. Oh, wow. So he's doing a show, and he's a very animated performer. If anybody has not seen Lawrence Gowan and Styx, they need to, because this is the best version of Styx in the entire history of the band. And he's just a great frontman.
0: You have to tell everyone who he replaced in Styx.
1: Oh, well, he replaced uh, Dennis DeYoung.
0: So he's the he's the keyboard player and the voice of Styx.
1: Yeah. So Lawrence Gowan, yeah, he's he's the uh, keyboard player and the, the vocalist of Styx, um, and replaced Dennis DeYoung back in 1999. Yes. So as I said, this is the best version of Styx in the band's history. Right. So anyway, Lawrence is doing his solo show and he's bouncing around the stage like he always does. And he, he did a, a, like a jump onto the drum riser, which didn't work, and he hit his head literally like on the drum kit. Mm. And when he came around to the front, I, I everyone in the audience, even me, I could notice, that he was bleeding. Oh, man. <laughs> his head was like full of blood. <laughs> no way. And it was very clear to see that. And so uh, he finished the song without even doing anything. And then it's sort of in between the next song, he ran off to the side and people came on stage and they're dabbing his head and, and you know, oh, sort of it up, put a quick bandaid on him. So he finished the show, believe it or not. Right. <laughs> but then after the show, when we were going to go to, to do the meet and greet, um, his manager came to tell us that like, they couldn't do the meeting greet because obviously he was, the head injury was really deep. Like he, it was bad. Right. So Helga from the String Cats, her her boyfriend is a doctor. So she's like, instead of you guys trying to get Lawrence to go to a hospital here in Canada, like at midnight, we could, you know, who knows what's going to happen. She's like, why don't we just go to my, my boyfriend's house and, and he could stitch Lawrence up right away. So they did. They got in the car <laughs> and they drove to Helga's boyfriend's house. And they literally like put Gowan right there because, again, he's a, he's a full doctor. And, uh, and he's a like, huge fan of Gowan, by the way, from the 80s. Oh, that's awesome. So for him, that must have been an insane night to have his girlfriend call and say, guess what? I'm coming over and I'm bringing Lawrence Gowan with
0: me. All because you put <laughs> the girls and Lawrence Gowan together and then she was able to get her doctor <laughs> boyfriend to repair Lawrence's head.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yes. Exactly. That is hilarious.
1: So, yeah, he went and he got the stitches and uh, everything done up right there at the boyfriend's house. And the coolest thing about that is that obviously because of what Helga did, the next time that Lawrence Gowan toured in Canada, he brought the string caps on uh, on some of the shows and let them do a, a set. Oh, that's great. So it really worked out good.
0: All because of you, Ron you brought them together and it worked out for everybody.
1: Yeah, actually Lawrence, Lawrence, actually he did a, a home with, you know, a lot of people during COVID are doing COVID or doing those home concerts. He right. did one of those a couple of months ago and he actually brought the string cats on as his special guest for like pretty much almost the entirety of the show.
0: Oh, dude, that's And
1: great. he sent me a text after the show, thanking me like saying, Hey Ron, thanks so much for suggesting the string cats and kind of bringing us all together. He goes, thanks. Thanks buddy. It was all because of you
0: that's awesome dude that he acknowledges that that's that's shows you what kind of guy he really is all right let's move on to this Tell everyone the story of how you became the producer for the very first ever film festival that celebrated this particular actress
1: right okay so here's the thing I as I said I, I love the arts and acting I, I got into acting and I've done some acting I've, I've been in some Hollywood big Hollywood films. I spent a whole summer with with uh, Paul Walker, um, some other big names. I've done some small independent stuff as well. And the thing I learned very quickly, being in that business of, of Hollywood and filmmaking and acting, is that you know when there's no work, you need to make you need to make work. Right. And so at a time when things were getting a little bit rough for me to to get some work in, in the film field. I decided to do something again, kind of like the Petra interview. It's like, hey man, something's happening soon and nobody's doing nothing. Uh, I'm gonna do something about it. So it was coming up on the anniversary of of the passing of Madeleine Monroe. Again, probably the biggest star in the history of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And um, I contacted a local uh, repertoire cinema and said, hey, you know, uh, I'm an actor. I'm, I, I, I know I'm known of the business quite a bit. I think we should do something to celebrate this thing with Marilyn Monroe. Why don't we do a film festival? So we went down, we had a meeting. Uh, They loved everything I had to say. I sort of mapped out some things for them to do, and they were on board, like, bing, bang, boom. Like, next thing I knew, I was working with them nonstop. And yeah, we did a two week run of uh, showing the biggest films with Marilyn Monroe. We worked really closely with some people, believe it or not, who are still alive. Hmm who were working with Marilyn, so some of her co-stars and people who actually took pictures from the film of the seven-year itch with that famous dress blowing up. We had actual print photographs from the photographer in our cinema
2: oh, for that great.
1: festival, which was insane. So, yeah, so I put that together, and I, I went online and found out that, we were, that no one had done this before, that we were the first ones. I'm like, which was really cool because it gave the cinema a lot of exposure. It brought a lot of exposure, again, to Marilyn. And then, again, for me, You know, I was like, I was on the front page of the newspaper in Montreal. I was on the radio. I was, I was was talked about in LA, everything. So yeah. So again, something that, you know, and I always say this to people in life, you know, if, if nobody's doing it, then you do it.
0: Well, the thing I love about you, Ron, is that you've gotten notoriety out of doing things, but you were doing them to honor other people and other people's work.
1: Yeah, I never thought about that until you said it just now, but yeah. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, the thing is, most people, Ron, are jumping up and down to be noticed, and you're actually bringing the focus to people that have already done great stuff, great things in their life, and you're trying to celebrate them while everybody else is trying to celebrate themselves, and you're actually getting notoriety for celebrating other people. I think that's awesome.
1: If I was to quote one of my favorite films, uh, maybe not my favorite movie, but the film Jerry Maguire. <laughs> there's a great line from that movie. There's a lot of great lines in that movie, but there's one in particular where the character of Jerry Maguire says, you know, I just want to be inspired.
2: Right. And
1: that, that's kind of what I want to do. You know, I, I want to be inspired, but I want it more so not so much for myself. I want to be able to inspire others. Right. And if I can inspire somebody else, that they are inspired by something I've done, that they'll go out and do something that's inspirational for them or for others. Yes. And just to keep it, keep it going, you
0: know? Right. Well, that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast because I love how when you're inspired, it inspires you to move forward and do something. Your inspiration always forces you to take action. And I love that about you. So you're not only a journalist, but you're a photojournalist, journalist or a photographer. So tell everyone the story about the White Hart pictures you took and where they ended up and how that all played out. Tell us that story.
1: Oh, well, I've been photographing White Hart, I mean, since I've said earlier in this talk, John, um, since the Freedom Tour, I photographed every tour after that. Right. And I actually have a beautiful letter from White Hart's management uh, with uh, David Eckerman.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, Dave was the one that used to hire me to go out and road manage them so he could stay home with his new wife. Dave ran the office. So if I was out playing for someone and wasn't available to road manage Whiteheart, then he would have to go out and road manage. So Dave was the one that hired me.
1: (laughs) That's great. And actually, what's even more, you know, again, you want to, you know, I'm going to be saying this throughout this whole talk, more God-driven, let's say, Dave Eckerman and I both had, at that time, the exact same number and street what? of where we live.
0: You're kidding.
1: No, because when he, he, I spoke to him on the phone and he asked me like, uh, oh, I need your address to send you something. And so I told him my mailing address. And when I gave him the number of my building and the, my street name, like he was frozen. He didn't say anything. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. Almost a minute and there was silence on the phone. And I was like, hello? And he's like, is that really your address? And I'm like, yeah, that's my address. He's like, You're never gonna believe this. That's my address. That's great. Where I live.
0: Well, I would have been okay. over to that house of his that had that address. That's funny.
1: Yeah, so it's just a little side note, but you know, I thought I thought that was pretty bizarre and so did he. So anyway, uh, so yeah, I photographed I photographed Whiteheart on every tour since Freedom. And I have a beautiful letter from Whiteheart's management and David Eckerman where they basically, he claimed that I was the official White Hart live photographer. And he even said that because if people are going to ask me who's the official White Hart live photographer, he goes, I'm always going to say to you, you're our, you're our guy. <laughs> and uh, when Tales of Wonder came out, they used some of my live photographs with a press kit,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: was very nice. So that was pretty cool. And we'd actually even thrown around the idea of making a tour book using all my photographs. And I actually, me and Gary Horsman, the guy who ran the radio show, we actually sent out some preliminary rough drafts Hmm. of that tour book. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. And then uh, when Whiteheart released their double greatest hits, it was nothing but the best. There was the rock CD and the radio, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, sort of more the, the slower tunes. Well, here's the thing, John. I I went to my local Christian bookstore around the time of the release. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and they had a big display for it, you know, with the poster and the CDs and everything. And I looked up at the poster and I'm like, (laughs) wait a second. Those are my pictures on there, (laughs) which was really cool, but I didn't know about it. It
0: was cool. It was cool and not cool all at the same time.
1: Well, I think it was, like, cool, but how about this? I was, like, I was curious. So, so when I got the CD and I saw that my pictures were even used for the CD cover, several of them, I'm not going to say all of them, because there are some photographs on there that are not mine. Right. But quite a few of them are mine, actually. I think the majority of them are mine. <laughs> to <be> yeah. Honest. <laughs> right. Um, but when I looked at the photography credit, there was the other guy's name there, but my name was not. Of course. So that's kind of what you just said, John. Where I sort of was like, "This is cool, but it's not cool," right? Because now there's another guy who's being credited for this. Yes, like I would have preferred it if his name wasn't there, and we we're both weren't credited. At least I would feel
0: better. Right. There's a hundred other ways that would have made that situation more comfortable for you.
1: Right. So I reached out to their management. Um, management actually because they told me that they had nothing to do with it It is basically the story was that the record company is doing this greatest hits package Mm -hmm. and they needed some, some pictures so they had sent my pictures to them but the thing was you see at that time all my pictures were um i had my credit on on the back of the photo so they it's not like they didn't know where these were coming from or who did them Right. It was pretty clearly stated on every picture I've ever sent to a, a band or an artist or whatever. They knew it was going to be coming from me because I would put it on the back of the photo.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know nowadays, you know, people do the imprints on the pictures. But that's how I did it back in the day. Right. So the record company, I reached out to the record company and uh, spoke to them. And uh, like they instantly put me through to the legal department. Like it was <laughs> an instant like you don't have to speak to legal like big time. Because uh, I think they thought I was going to make a real deal about this,
0: and and you could have,
1: I could have probably, but you know I'm not that kind of guy, and I think it's maybe just the Canadian way. We you know we're so easy going up here. You hear you hear that cliche about Canadians, but it's actually <laughs> right. true. Oh Canada! <laughs> Plus, I believed in the ministry of Whiteheart and the guys, and I was pretty friendly with the guys in Whiteheart, like as well. So there's nothing I was ever going to do to put any kind of a, a stain in our relationship or towards their ministry. Because again, this had nothing to do with Whiteheart, right? This was the record company.
2: Right.
1: So I, this, this wasn't the band's fault or even the management's fault. This was literally the record company's fault. Right. So they basically, the, the lawyer just, you know, he reached out to me. and He's like, Yo, you know what? Uh, we feel terrible. Uh, we'll, you know what we're going to do? We'll, we'll send you like a box of the CDs and the... Uh, posters and we'll send a letter uh, from our company saying that your pictures are on that CD as well. In case anybody asks in the future you can always show the letter that's stated from the record company saying that those are your photographs on there.
0: Okay so they sent you a box of CDs using your pictures with someone else's name getting credit (laughs) (laughs) Yeah Boy that's going to make it better isn't it?
1: yeah so you know and again you know i know i know like this to this day because i i hung out with mark uh like two years ago and billy also by billy smiley as well right. and i know that they both like we obviously that comes up in conversation still and they still feel really bad about it like they they're always mentioning, man we feel so terrible that that happened to you and <laughs> You know, we wish the record company does something better for you or, or if they had more control over it. Right. They would have loved to have known that I got credited for that. You know, so I, again, there's no blame with anybody in Whiteheart white heart whatsoever. And the guys feel still bad about that happening to me to this day. So I really respect them a lot for that. And it keeps our friendship going strong. And, and I always want to have a good relationship with uh with mark uh, rick and billy
0: right well if anyone wants to know what record company it actually was it's a reasonable facsimile to swan Songs. <laughs> i don't believe that they're, <laughs> they're not around anymore
1: well i think what's happening right now john is anybody listening to this who owns nothing but the best uh cd collection is rummaging through their cd right now and opening it up and looking at the pictures and the credits
0: Yep, there you go.
1: <laughs> They're looking at it right now while we're talking. Like, wow, really? <laughs> now,
0: now the concept of splitting the hits and doing the rock hits on one CD and and doing the radio mellow, you know, adult contemporary stuff on the other CD—that was brilliant. Yeah. Not crediting the photographer, not so brilliant. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Again, you know, let's put this all on the record company. Yes, yes, them. absolutely, so, you know. because
0: that's what, because. <laughs> Even if an artist is at fault usually they just blame the record company anyway <laughs> <laughs> Oh okay, so let's get out of that I got a question for you <sighs> Would you rather get someone's autograph or would you rather get a picture taken with them?
1: Well you know what I I just want to quickly say you know what I, I am an autograph collector and I make no bones about it or you know shy to say it because you know what John a lot of people in life love to collect things. There's people who collect salt and pepper shakers, stamps, coins, and they'll go out of their way to find that, that, that special stamp or that special coin or that special shot glass or whatever it is that they collect. And I think collecting autographs is a great hobby. And it's actually been really useful for me because I do have a bit of an in being a journalist. So it kind of helps me sometimes, Right, but, um, I think when it comes down to and I've got some great autographs from some major names which I'm really proud of but when it comes down to it uh, I would always go for a photograph with the person and take the autograph second
0: because if there's only time for one you t-
1: but there was a time I think where I was the reverse there was a couple of years that I remember getting autographs from people and I didn't ask for a picture um, but I think I've changed you know I've tried to get both to be honest with you I try to go for both
0: but- right.
1: If I had to choose, I will go for the picture with the artist first.
0: Right. Okay, so here's a silly-sounding question, and it's going to sound sillier when I say it out loud. I hear it in my head, but here we go. Do you have my
1: autograph? Yes, I do. And I actually, I think I sent you one of them in either a message somewhere. I took a picture of you on Highlands Tour, and you signed up for me on the Saltbox Tour.
0: That's right. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. Now, that is a little weird for me.
1: I think what I am missing, though, from you, John, is I don't believe that my inside CD is signed.
0: Oh, that's funny. So
1: I'm going to have to somehow go to see you to get that CD signed, because I've actually got it signed by, I think, everybody, I think everybody but you.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, Ron, I live in Michigan, so I'm only like nine, ten hours from Montreal. No, here's what, here's what you can do. You can send it to me and I'll sign it and send it back. Or I can even do this. There was a photo shoot that didn't get used much from the Inside album. Okay. One of the uh, pictures from that photo shoot actually ended up on a t-shirt for just a couple months. It didn't sell real well, so they didn't put it out. And then it also ended up on a sticker pack thing. And I dug those out of my garage the other day because I'm looking to see about putting together a Christmas bundle I might try to offer. Uh, to raise some money to help cover the cost of the podcast. So I'll send you one of those sticker things because that truly is a collectible.
1: Well, my heart is touched. Okay. My heart is touched. <laughs> and, and I wanted to say, I'm a kid, John. I mean, you know, just, I think for those people listening, they might find it kind of cool. Like I've got couple, quite a few like souvenirs from back in the day that are really collectible. Um, like I, I showed one of the guys in Petra. I actually have a Petra beyond belief water bottle. That was like a special promo that was really short-lived. And the guy in Petra, he was like, the Petra member, he's like, I didn't even know that existed.
0: That's funny. <laughs> well, you know there's you know, there's some action figures out there that resemble John Schlitt. I used to look at him and say, you know, I don't know if you remind me more of Hercules today or Fabio.
1: <laughs> Actually, I think one interview I did with Schlitt, I told him I thought he looked a lot like Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. And he told me that a lot of people have told him that.
0: He heard that all the time. Every day somebody would tell him that. You look like Hercules. You look like Hercules. <laughs> and, of course, he loved to hear it.
1: Yeah, I and mean, it's, not, it's not an insult. It's <laughs> not at
0: all. Before we wrap this thing up, Ron, I want you to tell everyone some of the movies
1: you've been in. Oh, some of the movies I was in. Um, you
0: you were talking about movies earlier, and we didn't dive into it, but I want you to dive in for five minutes and tell everyone your a little bit about your actual on-screen movie career.
1: Oh well, I I, I did mostly like a lot of extra work, but I had a couple of like little up, uh, I would call it some upgrades beyond that. And again, I've been I've actually had like some roles in some independent stuff. So um, one movie that I did that I'm really happy that I did, and it's kind of cool that you asked me this because it's a name that's pretty popular in the media right now, especially the past like two weeks. We've heard this thing a lot. But I was in the Rudy Giuliani story film.
0: Oh my gosh, dude! No way.
1: That starred James Woods as Rudy Giuliani. That's crazy. So I did that film. Uh, very that, that was. It too because I'm in that movie, let's put it this way. Right. I'm literally there with James Woods. That's cool. Um, I did a movie Obsessed with Jenna Elfman, uh, she was fantastic, very funny girl. I love her. I did, um, oof, I did a couple of Canadian films that nobody would really know. Oh, Canada. I did one movie that's called Polytechnique, which is very big in Canada,
0: hmm.
1: and the director of that film, uh, is a guy who's getting pretty big right now in the United States. He's going to be the director of Dune.
2: Oh, wow. And
1: he directed the uh, remake of, um, I'm sorry, he's doing the remake of Dune. And he also did uh, Blade Runner, the recent Blade Runner film as well. Cool. Which is a guy named uh, Denis Villeneuve. Ah. He's from Quebec. And I worked with him on a French film that was pretty big in Canada. And uh, I got upgraded on that film to like a role in that movie. And now this guy is the director of Dune and Blade Runner 2049.
0: Nice. Now, what about the Paul Walker movie?
1: The movie I did with Paul Walker, yeah, which was like probably the best time I've ever had in my life, was a film called Timeline. And we spent a summer shooting that up here in Montreal based on a novel by Michael Crichton. Oh, cool. And working on Timeline, was it was the best time of my life. Uh, Paul Walker was fantastic with everybody on the crew and the cast. Uh, Gerard Butler was a part of the cast as well. Richard Donner, who did uh, Superman and all the Lethal Weapon films, he was the director. Oh my gosh! Treated us amazingly, and uh, yeah, th- that that was a great film. And actually, you can, yes, you can see me in that film because actually I actually have a scene with Paul Walker in a cool action sequence where he sort of throws me back. That's awesome. So,
0: you know, I said it before, Ron, but I'm going to say it again, dude. Uh, I love how you love life. And when something moves you, you want to become part of it. And I think that's fantastic.
1: Well, like I said, I mean, I, I, I tell that to people all the time. You know, if, if you see something that should be done and nobody's doing it, then, then you do it. Or right. you just see something you want to do, then, you know, make it happen. And um, I, I look for things in life that are inspiring. I mean, obviously, I, you know, I do pray about things and I, and I, I, I go to God about faith, many things in life. I mean that entire petra beyond belief interview. I always, you know, people, people, fans thank me for it, and I always tell them, you know what, thank you so much. You're very welcome, but you know, it's God. God put that whole thing together. Like, it, it wouldn't have happened without God, and, and so many other things. i working on timeline with Paul Walker, uh, the Marilyn Monroe thing, all the opportunities I've had to interview all the all the biggest names in the world of acting or music or comedy. Uh, I'm always feeling just so blessed. And so many times I'm at a a function with all these celebrities in the middle of all of it, I'm like literally thanking God in the middle of the whole thing.
0: Right. Well, you and I know, Ron, as Christians, that when we let God orchestrate our life, it's much more beautiful than if we try to do it ourselves.
1: Absolutely. and. I'm always kind of looking around the corner Hmm. and seeing like what new opportunity it is that God is going to, you know, either present to me or that I want to maybe bring to him Mm -hmm. to get his blessing to, you know, to say, okay, you know, yeah, we can, we can do this. You can do this. You know, it's good. Go ahead and do this.
0: Right. Absolutely. All right, buddy, we are circling for landing. So let me ask you one more question. Do you remember the last time you and I saw each other?
1: Oh, yeah. It was talked about letting God lead and being a blessing of God and thanking God. Yes, it was a great night. In fact, the last time we've, we've seen each other face to face was the best time I've been with John.
0: <laughs> wow. I I think. <laughs> I hope it's a wow.
1: <laughs> so I'm glad that our last get-together was like the best get-together. Right. So um, it was in Montreal. So you've been to Montreal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was on the Petra Praise Two tour, which
0: yeah.
1: was really early. That's another tour; it's really early in the tour. You guys came to Montreal that that night. For whatever reason, I did not have an interview with the band. Uh, I did not have my regular backstage stuff set up because I think it was so early in the tour. That's why. Yeah, and I was up, I kind of walked into the show, and I think it was at the soundboard. And I saw you, John, at the soundboard. And you were talking to some guys, obviously some some tech crew. And I'm like, hey, that's John Thorne. What's he <laughs> doing here? It's <laughs> literally what I literally what I said to myself. That's,
0: that's funny, dude.
1: So I approached you and uh, I kind of introduced myself and you were kind of looking at me like we've met before, like you knew me.
0: I might have been thinking, okay, last time I saw you, you were in New York. Why are you in Montreal? I mean, who knows what I was thinking, but, like, you'd see someone from one day to the next and not know if you knew them from two weeks ago or from ten years ago. You just saw so many people all the time.
1: And I got to say, too, for for, for the listeners, like, that's what happens with journalists, is that when the celebrities meet the journalists, unless it's from someone they really know, There's always that sort of look of like, okay, I know we've spoken or you've interviewed me. Like, when was it? Where was it? What was it for? Right, right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There's that that look of like, I know who you are, but like, tell me, you know? So anyway, we met. Yeah. So I went up to you and I I introduced myself. I explained who I was and, and, you know, where we, because you'll give me that look. of like, Yeah, I, I, I do know you. I've seen your face before. And so I explained, and then I said, oh, okay, you know, so, you know, we, we talked for like a minute or two and, and everything, and then you told me point blank that you were, you were now uh, road managing Petra. Right. So then I actually said to you, I said, oh, I said, well, you know, I said I, I didn't get a chance to get things set up for this show because it was so it happened so fast. And I said, uh, is there any chance that I can get to see the guys? You know, and you said, well, they don't really have a meeting group tonight. Uh, it's really rare. He's like, it's rare they don't have. But, I said, but you know what you said to me? Meet me at such and such a door. We'll we'll make it work. And uh, so after the show, which was a fantastic show, and I want to say for the listeners, and I've actually said this to John Schlitt more than once, I believe that the Petra Praise 2 lineup is my second favorite lineup in the history of Petra. Wow. I think that, that Brandau and Pete Orta, those guys brought such an energy to Petra. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, this is like, they're on fire. <laughs> right. And I think it made John Schlitt and Louis Weaver more energized too. Yep. So I'm just throwing it out there. So anyway, after the show, uh, I went to the backstage. They weren't letting anybody in. Um, and then you came up and I was the only guy there because there was no meeting greet that night. Right. And then... Uh, one of the guys working the show, he came over to me and he's like, yeah, you got to leave. Or I said, no, no, but, you know, I, and I said, no, 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 there's no meeting. And, and then you walked in just at that moment and you were like, you came up to us and you're like, no, no, this guy's good. He, he's coming in with me. <laughs> and then you brought me in and I spoke to Louis for quite a bit and, and John and, and Pete and everybody. And so, yeah, so it was great. So thank you. Uh, thank you, John Thorne, for uh, getting me backstage for the uh, Petra Price 2 tour.
0: Right on. Well, you know what they say, Ron. It's always better to have a journalist from Montreal in your back pocket than not.
1: Well, I, again, you know, I was inspired by that and uh, happy about it. And, you know, and I think, and I've told you in the past too, John, to to me inspiring to you, I've told you too, how much I really do love the inside record. And I think it's a bit of an underappreciated album. But it is a very good white heart album, and I do like it a lot.
0: Thanks, dude. That's that's very nice of you to say. It was a blast to be part of. I still can't believe I had that opportunity in my life to be part of that. I could write two books just from the experiences of making that album.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? I want to say again on this off the side here. When I had that lunch with with Mark in Nashville, he uh, told me something. I kind of knew it, but I didn't remember it until Mark had mentioned it to me. Because uh, another thing, I'm also a big Bowie fan, right? And you guys worked with the, the producer. who who worked with Bowie.
0: Yeah, Ken Scott. He actually is the guy that helped David Bowie develop Ziggy Stardust. Yeah,
1: Ken Scott. Yeah, you guys worked with Ken Scott.
0: It was so awesome working with Ken because he stayed at the Bennett House, which meant he had a room and didn't have to drive anywhere. So he would be up late working. He would get up early and work because that's all he did. He didn't really leave. So I would stay late for vocal overdubs. I'd get there early for guitar overdubs. I was there as much as I could be, just because I wanted to be around the process. I wanted to learn as much as I could, but I also wanted to pick his brain and uh, ask him about all the great artists he had worked with. Dude, it was crazy because he started out as a teenager working on Beatles albums at Heavy Road Studio. And now here I am all these years later working at the Bennett House in Nashville and there's Ken Scott in the same room. It was a trip.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, th- that's why there's so many. There, I, used, I mean, there, you could probably make a one-hour documentary on, on the making of Insight, you know? Now,
0: there's a lot of footage that I shot that I put into two music videos. One of them is You Can't Take What You Don't Have, and that's on the White Hart page and on the Union of Sinners and Saints page, and it's also on my Facebook. And the other one is there's a unreleased rock version of Even the Hardest Heart. And a few people over the years had gotten a hold of me and asked me if there was a copy of it. Well, I had a copy of it, but I wasn't going to put it out just as an MP3. So when I went through and digitized all my footage from that tour, or from that making that album at the Bennett House, I did a second music video to Even the Hardest Heart, the rock version. Right. And that's also out there. Yeah, I've seen it. Well, the next time you watch it, if you see it again, just keep your eye out because Ken is all through those two music videos. So it was a blast, though. That project was awesome. And the thing about Ken, he worked with Supertramp. He worked with Elton John. He worked with Pink Floyd. He worked with Duran Duran. Oh, my gosh. Missing Persons. The list goes on and on. It was truly remarkable getting to do that album with him.
1: Man, the coolest thing is you get to say that you're a part of his career. Just crazy. Hey man, I spent time with that guy.
0: Yeah, crazy cool blessing. I still can't believe it. Hey,
1: did you like the Eddie Van did you like the Wolfgang Van Halen song or what?
0: I did. I like it. Uh if that's Wolfie singing, oh my gosh, he's got a great voice. Whoever's singing it did a great job. The first half of it sounded like a demo to me, and the second half of the song sounded more like a complete song, like a a finished production kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: It didn't feel quite ready to to be released, but it might not have been ready. He might have just done it because his dad just died. Yeah, totally. I do love the song though, and I love the spirit behind the song. You can tell him and his dad had a strong, like a really, really close bond.
1: Seeing that footage of him and Eddie, it's like you, you almost start you start crying. You got tears in your eyes.
0: <laughs> you know, I understand. The fans think it's great to. Want more Van Halen music, and wouldn't it be great if, you know, Van Halen went out and did a tribute tour to Eddie? Blah blah blah. I feel bad for Wolfgang because he doesn't have a dad now, and the rest of the world's all wrapped up in not having Eddie Van Halen, and he's trying to cope with the fact that he doesn't have his dad.
1: I listened to the Howard Stern interview that he did with Howard. Uh, the whole thing, the whole hour and a half. He pretty much kind of was saying stuff like that, like like Howard Stern asked him, like, "How are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm doing terrible." Wow. He's like, "I just lost my father." Like he blatantly says it right up there on, on Howard Stern, like, "I'm feeling terrible. I just lost my dad." Like, wow. Some days are better than others. Oh wow, man. You know. And then he says at the end, like, "There's." He said at the end of it with Howard Stern, that there's there's like literally thousands of like reels of tape in in the in the vaults of right. Van Halen. And he says, we are, we are going to do something with those tapes. He says, but I can't do it now. Right. I'm not in a place emotionally to start sitting there listening to all of my dad's unreleased music. Right. I can't do it. That's just Cause yeah. I know the fans want it, but for right. me, it's the loss of my father. I have to deal with first. And then maybe in a two years, three years, five years, when I'm at, when I'm at the right place, then I'll go through the tapes and we'll release it for the fans. But I, you know, he was kind of saying what you just said, John. you know, like, right. I got to deal with the death of my dad first. But, um, yeah, I also wanted to quickly ask you, because I never know when we we're going to talk, but I just wanted to quickly throw out to you, because uh, I never really got to tell you, uh, you know who my favorite bass player is of all time?
0: I have no idea.
1: I know. Well, it's, and by the way, I have met him. I have a picture with him, and I have his autograph. Okay?
0: <laughs> Get, getty Lee.
1: No, you know I've never met Getty Lee?
0: No, really.
1: It's insane that I've never met Getty. I, the closest I came to meeting Getty was on the last rush tour, the the R40 tour. That was the closest I, and I just missed meeting Getty. It really sucked.
0: Dude, you know where you can meet Getty Lee, don't you? Where? You go to any Toronto Blue Jays home game and he sits behind home plate, keeps score. He's at every Blue Jays home game.
1: Oh, yeah, he's a huge baseball
0: yeah, just go hang out behind home plate.
1: My favorite bass player of all time is none other than John Atlasville.
0: Ah, nice. Yeah, he was great.
1: I think he he's a revolutionary. I think nobody played bass like him uh, until he, you know, yep. like first got to really do a bass solo, like in that kind of way he was playing and the stuff he did. It was, I think he was phenomenal. I think he was over the top. So, uh
0: Well, it's interesting because their music, everybody thinks of them as a four-piece band, but they were really a three-piece with a singer, and their music had lots of space, which allowed him to play that way.
1: Oh, yeah. big time.
0: Ron, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for all your time and for all of the things that you've done to promote music and movies and artists and all that stuff, man. It's just crazy cool to see someone that not only is moved by that stuff but actually goes out and enjoys
1: it well I want to say thank you so much I'm moved to be asked to do this since I'm so many times I'm on the other side of the microphone asking the question right so it's kind of nice to have the reverse and like I said uh you know I do want to encourage people you know to visit uh, my YouTube channel and even more so to visit my uh, my website as well there's a lot even way more content on my website which again is that ronrockstarmedia.com and again it's r-o-n-r-o-x-t-a-r.com where they can see all kinds of reviews and interviews with acts both uh christian and secular as well um so i want people to know that there is there's definitely a mixture going on there and that's what i want to do i just want to through my artistry as a journalist as a photographer um and even just as a fan If I can inspire somebody through an interview that I've done or a picture that I've taken or a review that I've done and move them or inspire them for something better for themselves and for others, then that's what my goal is. And I thank God for giving me the talent to do so and hope to do so more in the future for all the artists out there that can inspire others. And let's all be inspired.
0: Right. Well, I appreciate the heart you have to do that as well as the talent. So, I appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for coming on. I'll do it again soon.
1: Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right, dude. See ya. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services for your church to generate more interest, create more exposure, and reach more people. Let Hey Rockstar amplify the awesomeness of your ministry. And, as always, Hey Rockstar is a proud sponsor of the Stage Right with John Thorne podcast.
0: Thank you, Hey Rockstar. Thank you, Ron Rockstar. And thank you for listening, which makes you a rock star today. My guest next Thursday, Scott Stearman, world-class sculptor and author. Have a great week.